Welcome to the Space Biff Book Space. <laughs> That's great. Today yes. we'll be talking about Rebecca Roanhorse's book, Trail of Lightning. Alright. I'm your host, Somerset Winters Thoreau. And I'm Brock. Paulson. Paulson's my last name. <laughs> I am Dan Thoreau. Welcome. Welcome Bill, to you. Bill Common. <laughs> Or, as the Dene would say... Oh, yes. I don't speak do any Navajo. Oh, uh, no, I, mean, I, I thought maybe you looked it up. I speak some crow, Navajo. but I do not speak any Navajo. Oh, man. That may be offensive to them. Well, if I use crow? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm not going to do it. Right, yeah. Okay. What if yeah. the entire Navajo nation listens to this, just <laughs> fascinated with what we thought of it? Because as, you know, as, most, as most of our listeners know... <laughs> Um, about 80% of the Navajo Nation is fans of Space Biff. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. Uh, because I am That's the only stat. one who goes to the effort to have it translated into Diné-friendly text. Uh, the right font. And um, I feel like this is a lie. Awful considerate <laughs> of you. Yeah. It's a plug-in. All right. Well, why don't we start off with some wrong spoilers? Uh, so I... I uh, decided to... I only have one wrong spoiler. Oh, my. Um, I decided to convert my other wrong spoiler into a game. uh, (laughs) Because Summer's games were always just such a highlight of of those episodes. Uh, And so during the discussion, we we will be playing a wrong spoiler game. Ooh. Uh, So here's here's your wrong spoiler. My favorite scene uh, was Maggie drawing her monofilament whip and wrapping up the orc shaman who was bearing down on her chummer Kai. Do you guys remember that? So that, that, was, that was my favorite I, scene also. The, I feel like this that's is, wrong. This is in both this and Wonder Woman, actually. Sure, right. Uh, so the, this is a joke based on uh, the fact that Rebecca Roanhorse, uh, the series is called The Sixth World, which is what the tabletop RPG Shadowrun calls their world. Yes. Uh, so just doing a little math, um, 23 listeners. Let's see, that joke is for no one. Um, <laughs> not, not even me, because I don't play Shadowrun. Um, I played some of the video games. Now at least three listeners turned the podcast off. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. So that's Thank a you. wrong spoiler. Yeah. Thank you for that. I enjoyed that. <laughs> How um, could you? How could you possibly have enjoyed that? I, I enjoyed your explanation. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. It kind of made it into like a a really tense explaining. Yeah, just like cringe humor for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my punishment for telling that joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dan. How about a how about a real synopsis? Okay. So I just finished writing this literally. Uh, Brock was actually staring through the webcam at my the back of my head. I was watching the glorious while I finished writing back this. of your head. Um, That's how well prepared we are for this podcast. Every time we do it, we're always well prepared. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you know how many hours pass between the time you finish and the time the podcast recording <laughs> starts. You can count that as prepared. Yeah, I agree. Let's take a deep breath all together. Okay. I'm ready. <sighs> it's 
going to be some good audio. Just let the warm air of Deneta blow over you. Speaking that, of which, there's just some thunder outside oh, our is house. That thunder? Yeah, I hear it. And where there's thunder, there is a trail of lightning opsis. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Somewhere in Deneta, more commonly known to pale faces as Navajo territory, Maggie Hosky has arrived at the Lukuchai Chapter House to haggle for payment. The topic under consideration is a young girl who has been kidnapped by an unknown monster. Maggie takes her sweet time sorting through the clan's baubles of turquoise and silver. Can you save her? The girl's mother asks. I can find her, Maggie replies, nonchalantly fingering through more stuff to add to her reward pile. No, I mean, can you go now? We'll pay you when it's done. A monster stole my daughter. Isn't payment something we can discuss after you've saved her? <laughs> On average, any monster kidnapping that isn't solved within 24 hours doesn't get solved at all. She's taken a criminal justice slash monster justice class. Yeah. <laughs> and Maggie thinks the same thing, Brooke. She rolls her eyes and says, fine law and order special victims unit, I'll go. <laughs> but I'm adding this rug to my reward pile. <laughs> Maggie leaves the chapter house and tracks the monster into the hills with her Navajo powers. Tony Healerman glances up from his copy of the book <laughs> and says, <laughs> Wait, is he still around? <laughs> no. Wait, I don't, I don't get that joke. But I like the cadence of it. Ow! Stop! <laughs> I have to do this whole section over again now. <laughs> Tony Healerman glances up from his copy of the book and says, This is great. Classic tension between the mystical and the real. Even better, there's no time to wait for the tribal police or the feds. <laughs> Just like when Detective Joe Leaphorn was forced to solve the mystery <laughs> in my first Navajo murder mystery novel, The Blessing Way. Oh, okay. <laughs> since, <laughs> since Tony Hillerman has been dead for a few years, I catch him up on recent events. <laughs> Consider it. The big water has flooded most of Earth, ending the white man's stranglehold on Native American crime fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for the Diné, their heroes of legend have become reality, mm. and a gigantic wall of turquoise has erupted from the ground to encompass their territory. Travel between Dineta and the outside world is limited to border checkpoints, which may or may not be open according to the whims of the tribal elders, and which now boast signs that say things like, Now that's how you build a wall! <laughs> <laughs> The other sign says, how do you like them, Bilisanias? That's Navajo for apples. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Tony Hillerman falls silent with amazement or aneurysm, <laughs> allowing me to return to the book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maggie finds the monster eating the kidnapped girl. Aww. An epic battle ensues. She shoots it, then stabs it, then calls upon another set of Navajo powers to tear its head off. She turns to the girl who's halfway chewed up. You cool with me mercy killing you, she asks. <laughs> oh, gosh. Before the girl can respond, Maggie chops off her head. Oh, my. Oh, goodness. Back at the chapter house, Maggie discusses her bounty with the young man who has left behind. Nobody said anything about bringing Oliver back, she says. Wow. Ah, <laughs> oh, fine. I won't take the rug. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your Maggie voice is... It's real good. 
That's how I internally heard her. Is this the voice you heard when you were reading? (laughs) Wow. She looks over the rest of her reward pile, just some crummy turquoise and silver and other precious stuff like manganese, (laughs) barely enough to buy booze. (laughs) Because she's now gross from wrestling with a monster, Maggie heads into the city of Tse Bonito to see Grandpa Ta, the medicine man who patched her up after she was abandoned by Nejgani, the legendary monster hunter who saved her after her family was cannibalized by a skinwalker witch. Don't worry about it, there's some history there. (laughs) Maybe also some sexual tension. Don't ask, because Maggie isn't telling. <laughs> Neither is Rebecca Roanhorse, unfortunately. <laughs> Got something to show you, she says, oh and puts the head on the table. <laughs> Oops, wrong one. Here we go, a monster. <laughs> what do you think? Wow, you're enjoying this too much. <laughs> Grandpa Ta nods slowly. I don't know this type, but my hot grandson might. <laughs> you know, the grandson I keep trying to hook you up with, even though you have berserker powers that make you kill your friends, enormous family baggage because of the whole cannibalism thing, and always smell like monsters. <laughs> Maggie motions at both of the severed heads. I can find my own boyfriends, thanks. <laughs> Ta interrupts. Here he is. Ta's grandson is indeed a hottie. His name is Kai, and he shows up wearing a party shirt and aviators. So he's a real iconoclast. Nice. They banter for a while. He wants to go along on this adventure. Maggie doesn't need a man. Eventually, his eyes turn silver, and he goes, You're going to adopt me as a sidekick. (laughs) Maggie stares at him. I'm going to adopt you as a sidekick. Wait. Do do you do mind control? (laughs) Kai stares back at her. You don't believe in mind control. Maggie nods. I don't believe in mind control. Welcome aboard, sidekick. (laughs) On their way out to the truck, they're hassled by a cop. Instead of this turning into the usual person of color gets hassled by a cop trope, even though this cop is also Danae, Kai uses his mind control powers to not get shot, and they drive off. That's all that happens. <laughs> For some reason, they decide to stop at Maggie's trailer, where Coyote, a member of the Danae Pantheon, has stopped for dinner and a tease. Coyote is dressed like a flamboyantly homosexual plantation owner. <laughs> Even though he's the deity of long cons, betrayal, uh, backstabbing, and engendering false trust, Maggie and Kai decide to trust him when he says, A, that they should go to a magic mountain with some magic hoops to do an ill-defined magic thing, (laughs) and B, that they should bang as soon as possible. (laughs) These sexually attractive young people shuffle awkwardly from foot to foot, going like, Oh, why would anyone want to do that? They're sexy. (laughs) Orgasms. <laughs> After a satisfying and restful night of not having exuberant sex, Maggie and Kai continue on to Crown Point. The entire town has been massacred by monsters, leaving only Chindi, the ghosts formed by the badness left behind after a Danae's last breath. The entire town is overrun with them, despite a number of signs of godly intervention. Signs of lightning strikes all over the place. 
Mm. Maggie and Kai decide to go to the library. Kai loots some microfiche that will never again come up as a plot point. <laughs> when they try to leave, the Shindi surround them and make them feel cold. But Maggie stops them by throwing cornflour at them. So, these aren't scary monsters. They're just cornflour. They're just ghosts. Cornflour stops them. Yeah, it's fine. Back in Se Bonito, Taz Hogan has been burnt to the ground. The police have cordoned off the area. Mm. Kai turns to Maggie and goes, Stay here. I'm going to talk to these cops and um, ask them nicely and persuade them without mind control. What happened here? Kai's voice got deeper. Maggie goes, Ha! Like mind control? <laughs> Kai goes, There's no such thing as mind control. Bye! <laughs> While investigating his grandpa's burning Hogan, Kai runs into the cop he mind-controlled earlier. Unfortunately, he forgot to mind-control the cop into not believing in mind-control, so the cop believes in mind-control <laughs> and beats him up before he can open his mouth and mind-control him. <laughs> it's a two-step Oops. process. Yeah, it's many. You've got you to you cover your steps. tracks. Yeah. yeah. The cop beats Kai within an inch of his life, drags him into an alleyway, and draws his pistol. Then he shouts, He's reaching for a gun! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Maggie preempts this racial profiling (laughs) by using her monster hunting powers to shoot him in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a a Navajo power that no one else has. Nope. Shooting someone. Okay. On the run from the cops, Maggie knows of nowhere to go. She thinks about it for a while and settles on the only anti-cop safe house in Dineta. <laughs> There's only one. Like, she has to think about it. Just <laughs> like the one base. Okay. Grace Goodacre's place is a fortified compound that claims to be a bar, but doesn't seem to host patrons or serve drinks, unless hiding from the cops is the latest mixed beverage. Hmm. She and her children reluctantly allow Kai to stay, but inform Maggie that she only has 24 hours before she needs to clear out. Overnight, Kai magically heals. Everyone is very amazed. Before they can think about the implications of this, Grace's kids show up with rifles and say that monsters have been terrorizing a nearby town. Mm -mm. They all grab guns and jump on motorcycles, but this plan is as ill-conceived as it is hasty. A bazillion monsters converge on their position, and one of the kids has her guts torn out. Yikes. Kai uses his weather magic to create a giant fireball. You know, fire weather. (laughs) (laughs) Those off-occurring fire clouds. Right. It kills the monsters, and he heals the wounded kid. When they return to Grace's compound, Maggie resents the chalkboard that announces Navajo powers. Maggie, one... Kai, five. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason I can't remember, they drive back into town and go to a nightclub. It turns out that the nightclub is owned by Moshi, another member of the Diné Pantheon. The club shows the truth about its patrons' clan powers. So the members of the listening clan have big ears, the rabbit people have buck teeth, and the feather and antler people have, you guessed it, hollow bones and crepuscular sleeping habits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many episodes are we going to be able to say the word crepuscular in? <laughs> I hope all of them. <laughs> I, me too. Life goals. <laughs> 
It turns out that this nightclub is also a fight club. Maggie agrees to battle in the arena for her next clue, because this is the caliber of investigation we've been getting used to, and it's been working fine. <laughs> right as she's about to the, enter the arena, the pitmaster goes, This fight is to the death. Good luck. <laughs> he shoves her through and slams the door. <laughs> oh, by the way. <laughs> BTW. Have fun. <laughs> Everybody flips out because Maggie's opponent is none other than her monster hunting tutor and maybe, maybe not sexual partner, Nash Ghani. Uh, whoa. Incredible. Oh, Tension. Kai looks on jealously. They circle for a while, Maggie probing with her Swiss Army knife, <laughs> Nejgani twirling his sword made out of literal lightning. <laughs> Eventually she pokes at him, and he goes, What? You're really trying to kill me? In this fight to the death? <laughs> Weird. Didn't we have great times? You know, killing monsters, not making a demigod baby, me leaving you. <laughs> Just the best times. Is this how you think Nashgani talks? Yeah, he's a god. Okay. I think the the issue is that he started out so low with Kai. Yeah. He's he's got to go even lower <laughs> oh, for Nashgani. Well, Nashgani is clearly more manly than Kai. I, I mean, oh. absolutely. Deep voices equal more manliness. I gotcha. Yep. Okay. Ow. All right. To prove his point about how cool <laughs> monster hunting is, Nashgani stabs Maggie in the heart with his lightning sword. Ouch. How cool. You could do this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) When Maggie wakes up, after being healed by Kai, I guess, she's pissed enough to realize that Nejgani must have been the one making monsters for, like, assumed reasons. She assembles a team of improbable allies, exactly like in Mass Effect 2. Kai... (laughs) Grace Goodacre's murder kids, some mercenaries we, I think, met 200 pages ago, a wacky <laughs> white guy who wandered over the wall illegally, Grandpa Ta, who's still alive, I think, and the chindy ghost of that bad cop she killed. <laughs> it's an unlikely group, but together they are strong. Wow. Message. Okay. <laughs> Their plan is simple. Okay? Simple plan. Bum rush the holy mountain where Nishkani is hiding. (laughs) (laughs) On the way, they meet some monsters, but Maggie meets Coyote and realizes she's been played for a sap this whole time. He made the monsters. He's the god of trickery, and he tricked you. Who could have seen... Exactly, Brock. Who could have (laughs) seen this moment approaching? (laughs) Maggie gets revenge by shooting him in the face, which seems to work, actually. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because she shot him and then he fell off a cliff. Yeah, it, it seems like a trickster That's thing. That's the death of a god, right? Yeah. <laughs> trickster thing, yeah. <laughs> Even though Maggie now knows that Nejgani didn't actually massacre any villages, <laughs> she still confronts him and intends to kill him, which kind of makes her pretty evil, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> to throw her off balance, Nejgani reveals that Kai has mind control powers. <gasps> Kai scoffs confidently. There's no such thing as mind control. <laughs> Nejgani scoffs back. <laughs> that doesn't work on a god. <laughs> Your eyes are opened, Maggie. <laughs> Kai stammers as he tries to explain it away. It, it started as mind control true. At first it was just mind control. Base, carnal mind control. 
just that drive to control minds. But it became more than mind control, Maggie. It became love control, soul control. Two human people bound up by fate control. And that's what it is now, no matter how it began, which is why he pauses gets down on one knee, and pulls a small velvet box out of his trouser pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, you killed her. Maggie shoots Kai in the face, then turns and uses Coyote's magic hoops to bind Nejgani into the belly of the earth. Now she has a lightning sword, which is way cooler than a gaslighting boyfriend. And that's actually the end of the book, so... Kind of, a, kind, of, kind of abrupt, but that's, that's literally the end. She's like, lightning sword, Trump's boyfriend. <laughs> the end. Wow. wow, that was a ride. So, uh, Thank you for that synopsis, Dan. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so I finished reading it almost a month ago, and then I went on Wikipedia tonight to write the synopsis, and there wasn't one. That's why I was just like, ah, crap. Let's see how many of these plot points I can remember. Wow. We gotta st- we gotta start putting ours, I guess yours, on Wikipedia. That's true. You know, pave pave the way. <laughs> That's true. I wonder how long it would be up. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not very long. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I've got some bad takes. All right. Um. Let's see here. All right, bad take number one is from whatever that other one site is called. Goodreads? Yeah, Goodreads, that's what it is. (laughs) Okay, so this person is upset that rather than being an urban fantasy, as it was touted to be, that it's rather a young adult slash new adult romance. She says, I have a problem when the heroine stops to admire how handsome the hero is or anguish about past lovers when there's other really important crap going on. I don't dislike romance as a genre, but I don't like when it's sold to me as a fantasy. Huh. That's interesting. It is. What do you guys think? Well, so I saw the blurb saying it was urban fantasy and I was like, okay, it's not super urban. Yeah. Uh, but no. like maybe tonally, I don't really, I don't know. Yes, I think I think tonally it is because there. I mean, I think a, a hallmark of urban fantasy is modern. Uh, you know, so there's cars and guns and whatnot. Uh, Just that it's like present, present day. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I think that is one one element is that it's you know magic and monsters and things in a in a modern setting. Does that make some of, like, Shakespeare's, like, fantasy plays, urban fantasy? Because oh, they were, like, on shipwrecks, and it was, like, contemporary then. Yeah, so as <laughs> yeah, as long as it's contemporary for your time. So urban fantasy <laughs> plus time equals fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And, like, in Tolkien's day, like, they had hobbits and... Right, exactly. <laughs> Volcano <laughs> demons. <laughs> Another good example. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, wargs and whatnot. Yeah, barrel whites. Okay, yeah. 
This person also said that the plot suffered from a lack of purpose. I felt like I could tell this was written without an outline. The two main characters are sort of just meandering from place to place with no real end goal in mind. And I, I think I disagree with that. I thought it, I thought it had a plot. I was able to follow along with like where they were going. Like, like I felt it was pretty logical which place they went to. Really? Next. So I, I guess okay. we're, I guess we're kind of skipping ahead almost because like we didn't talk about the romance angle. Oh yeah, sorry. But um, so two thoughts I guess. The first is that um. I really liked this book, actually. Um, yeah, I did quite, too. Quite a bit, but yeah, I actually, but I kind of agree with that point. Not the fantasy, not the romance one, because you know, like her family was eaten by a witch. Yeah. And like the guy, her rebound was like a guy who like was super sexy, but he was like this withholding weird god. <laughs> and now she's hanging out with this super sexy dude who's obviously gaslighting her the whole time. Like I don't know. <laughs> 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 Give the girl a break. Yeah, and like, what am I? What am I not going to notice? A hot guy? Yeah. That, you, you don't have a you don't have a monopoly on that. Uh, young adult books, right? We can, we can notice hot guys in all our genres. Well, so if I'm okay, yeah. If I'm on an on an adventure with sexy young people, uh-huh. and I'm a twenty something. I'm going to That's be thinking, gonna be part of your life. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking a lot about who's sharing tents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what are the sleeping arrangements? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It would be a big deal. But I do think... I think it would be unusual if it wasn't there. Right. Yeah. Like, they would be, like, these robots. These, like, <laughs> genitalless robots. <laughs> Yikes. Or, like, I mean, if, if all those scenes were, like, I met, I met uh, Ta's grandson, Kai... And he looked just like a regular guy. <laughs> like, he was clean cut and upstanding. <laughs> but otherwise, unremarkable. And no one... And had this weird knowledge about monsters. No one wants to use his body to exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> Certainly not me. Not me in my reproductive prime. <laughs> but the second point about, like... Um, so... Have you ever watched any of the Roger Moore James Bond movies? <laughs> Where he just, like, stumbles upon... Yeah, like... Like, he, look at this random matchbook. This is a clue. No, it's even worse than that, because he'll be like, I'm going to go to the spa, because I'm tired of spy business. And he goes to the spa, and, like, a ninja attacks him. <laughs> and he, like, snaps this ninja's neck, because obviously this stodgy, like, inflexible British dude is going to beat a ninja. Right. So he snaps right. the ninja's neck with, like, a judo chop, and then he search, he's rummaging through, like, the ninja's gi, and he finds, like, yeah, it, like a note that's like, <laughs> go to the Kennedy Space Center. <laughs> and then he goes, and he doesn't even, like, sneak in. He just, like, I'm going to wander around this I'm museum. Be a tourist. Yeah, like, wow, look at these rockets. And then, like, he's like, <gasps> Look, here right in the middle of this amusement park is a door that leads to a secret lair that goes to the moon. <laughs> and that's how like all the ro- almost all the Roger Moore James Bond movies are is that they Just like wherever he is there's right, a clue. There's no investigation, there's no sense of spycraft. You just you can tell the writers were just like, yeah, this guy has a contract, but he refuses to do any right. stunts. We're just going to ride around him. It's not even it's not even that he stumbles on it. It it comes to yeah, him. Yeah. comes to him. And that's a little bit how I felt with, like... Like, I loved this book. I loved a lot of the scenes. But the connective tissue between them, I was like, 
Wait, why are you going to this town? I could I never have, remember in the moment. Go I ahead. have a, a note that says, page 173, quote, I've still got a witch to hunt. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you you do? <laughs> is that is that what this book is about? <laughs> well, because, like... I, because I think that, that, you know, the monster thing, and then she at one point said, like, oh, this is the work of a witch, or something like that. Right. Yeah. But it literally was, like, mentioned once and then a, again a hundred pages later. Um, and well, so, I like, remembered it. Yeah, but, the, like, when she went to Ta, Grandpa Ta's house, she ostensibly is gathering information on this thing. But but that's not what she does. She goes there and then they, like, talk about, like, oh, uh, you see Nizhgani? Oh, uh, oh, my grandson. You want to... You ever wanted to knock boots with my grandson? <laughs> like, like the the thrust of the book was subsumed by other stuff, sometimes by ancillary stuff. And like when they went to that nightclub, I have no freaking idea why they went to that nightclub. But it's fine. The nightclub was super cool, yeah, and she got stabbed really by a cool. lightning it's sword. Because they heard <laughs> that that was where like the witches. Like something that the witch would be using to create monsters was. Yeah, and you've ex- you've expressed it so clearly um, <laughs> that it. <laughs> yeah. I... I just I just recall like not being confused why they were going to places. Yes, like they I needed... was like, okay, that makes right. sense. They needed the fire drill. Yeah. But I was like, what the. H is a fire drill. It was what they needed to get rid of the witch. <laughs> like, like, is it one of those drills you use to start a fire? Because I've done that. <laughs> like, you, do you need a fire drill? I'll make you a fire I, drill. I assumed it had to do with, like, gods and fire and, like, making things, you know, like mythology. That's like Prometheus. That's cultural yeah. appropriation. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that culture cares about cultural appropriation now because they're dead what greek people <laughs> <laughs> there's, still, there's still some greeks kicking around uh have you ever met a greek person come on dan <laughs> don't talk to Get a greek about the, the turks i know that much <laughs> all right okay well okay so well, you're well you're outnumbered on this one two to one brock okay. and i were both kind of like that's what i'm getting from this brock is that we were both kind of like yeah huh okay but i but i do think that um, the book moves at a at a fast enough pace that, you know, it, it may have been a, a gap in sort of like, well, I'm not sure where this is going, but then it picks, you know, it it picked up with with purpose again pretty quickly. Like, why did they even get the CDs from the library in that ghost town? That was a, a bit of a puzzler, I think. Like, I I just had no idea why that mattered. Like, going to the ghost town, because they're like, well, we're hunting a witch, and there's a ghost town. I'm like, yeah, like a witch. That makes some, like, I can connect that. Right, ghosts and witches. You know, you go where things are spooky. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I didn't get some of this, which is fine. I, I don't think it really impacted my enjoyment of the story. It clearly was not, I mean, as much as much of this story felt like a witcher's side quest um, okay. <laughs> um, it didn't really bother me because it was so interesting okay yeah. what's sorry what's the next thing all right the next um bad take is two out of five stars from google or from amazon missed opportunity 
The story had promise, but flipped non-inclusiveness rather than being inclusive, trying too hard to hit its cues on racial and sexual orientation issues. What? I don't yeah, know. I don't, Wait, I don't even know how to parse that sentence. Yeah. Non. Something about non-inclusiveness because it included a lot of different <laughs> kinds of people. Yes. Wait. So it says that she included black, biracial, and gay characters. Okay. But there was nothing familiar to me. This was almost certainly by design, though. I think she was trying to get every oppressed or neglected culture involved rather than deliberately excluding white people. Her efforts I became mean, distracting. I mean, white people avoid the Navajo reservation. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, did, I don't recall any Romani people. <laughs> like, I, 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 yeah, you know, I would, or uh, Chinese yeah, <laughs> South Koreans. Did you know there are more Chinese in the world than Navajo, and yet a not, not a single <laughs> Chinese person right. was in this story? I, I kind of got out of that that all the white people were dead, except for the uh, the exalted Mormon kingdom, which yeah. I loved that it got oh, mentioned. Oh, me too. Except That's I so was cool. like, except no Mormon would ever call their, their little no. state the exalted Mormon kingdom. Yeah. No, that... That smacks just slightly of pride, yeah. Uh, which, yeah, which I think would be frowned upon. Do you want to say anything about orientation? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I guess about rep- representation, right? That that uh, I don't know. I I think that it makes just a lot of sense for the setting. You know, it's exactly what she was trying to to evoke. Um, you know, we have now this sort of fractured world. Um, we already have isolated Native Americans. Um, so, you know, a disaster like this just sort of cemented that. Was there really a black character? I believe was... the Good Acres were supposedly... Yes, that's oh, what okay. it was. Who's biracial? Her kids? Yeah. Who's gay? I think. Oh, one of the one of her kids is gay, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one yeah. Who dressed he, her he all has up. like a drag set. That's where they get their costumes. Yeah. Oh. I guess I didn't even notice. Yeah, I didn't really notice <laughs> yeah. either. I think it's just become so normalized in a lot of. Yeah, novels I, I just that it just doesn't like that this doesn't really bug me or also also I it don't know if really that. Does that actually count as like? Does that count as diversity? Like it didn't strike me as super diverse, which yeah. was totally appropriate to something set on a magical fantasy version of the Navajo reservation yeah. with walls to right. keep out the whiteies. <laughs> <laughs> which which is totally cool with me. Uh-huh. Um, like there are some exam like. Um, like, for instance, when The Witcher came out and there was kind of a kerfuffle about this isn't diverse enough, and I was going, like, okay, well, the Polish don't consider themselves white um, the way that, yeah. like, white ethnicity is considered. Like, are are Polish people allowed to create something that is non-diverse because it's an expression of their own cultural, like, values and identity? Yeah. And to me, I'm going, absolutely. Sure. They are allowed to do that. You can criticize it if you want, but um, I think it's kind of a dead end critically but yeah no you know it's also important to know you know the context if, if you're going to criticize like right and and, the, that, and that was kind of my complaint with a lot of that criticism is i was going like right to you they look white 
this is like the crossroads of history that's been trampled mm-hmm. by everybody. They've been conquered by white people. Like, like they, yeah. This is not well, and, as I mean, simple as you're thinking it is. You, th- you even think about like there, there aren't really like British jokes, but there are lots of Polak jokes, right? You know, and and that like right. They're an underclass, and are they allowed to determine how they represent themselves? And to me, that's how it was with this story. Is I was going so. Um, Rebecca Roanhorse is not Navajo, but she's half Pueblo. Is she allowed to create a situation, write a situation in which she is determining uh, the degree of representation of a portion of her own identity? And to me, I'm going, yeah, fair play. I do not care that there aren't white people in this. Yeah. <laughs> right. I I would kind of be weird. I would kind of think it would be like pandering weird if there if were. There were, yeah. Like. Like there as was a, like some token white person, right? A token white guy, <laughs> which would, and if he was super token, like maybe if they really went outlandish with how token he was, like he comes up and he's like, "You ever smoked weed?" And he's like <laughs> taking the Hollywood token black person and inverting it. And he has overalls on with no shirt. Yeah, and yeah. he like sings country songs. <laughs> he has a banjo on his back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just. This is not a this is not a critical avenue I would pursue with this book. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't. Right. Yeah. Bad take. Yeah, that is a bad take. The previous one I kind of was fifty percent on board, but yeah, <clears throat> not this. Oh, I okay. want this. Comment. So here oh, is the next so excited one. For this this one. next one is simply identified as Amazon customer. Good job, Amazon customer. You anonymous coward. One out of five <laughs> stars. Lots of plot points from Shadowrun. Wait, wait, really? Yeah. Yes. Oh, finally. So read, read the whole thing for me. Okay, Brooke. it says, Sixth World, Native Americans being super important, post-apocalyptic, natural disasters, dot, 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 dot. When you are looking like the Orville versus Star Trek, but you are not a parody, I'd be talking to me lawyers, LMAO. <laughs> well, wow. very cogent point, Amazon customer. So, so I mean, I, I sort of underplayed my familiarity because I have played uh-huh. Shadowrun adjacent. Like, I've played the deck building game <laughs> quite, a, quite a lot. Note, note that, that I said that in Maggie's voice. Oh, excellent. What? Um, <laughs> that what that was. Um, and, like, yes, there are two... Uh, not insignificant similarities, right? The Sixth World uh, and and Shadowrun does have like Native American, uh, a sort of Native American, uh, not necessarily central, um, but they they are uh, quite involved, I think, in the world. Oh yeah, they're But like, there's also like there's also like dwarves and orcs and. And mega corporations in Shadowrun, you know, like the, yeah. I kind of uh, glanced at the Wikipedia page on Shadowrun because I was like, "What's this?" Well, it's a cyberpunk fantasy yeah. merger, cybernet, yeah. and it, like corporations. Yeah. So you can and play as like, like huh? as a as a gay elf, half elf, <laughs> half orc, tusked, weird thing that's a cyber hacker who likes to party and use big guns. Oh, okay. I mean, right. it, that's the kind of thing it is. That what is not the mix. kind of thing this is. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean. So here, here's my first beef. I want to deconstruct this criticism. First of all, the Orville is not parody. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Orville is incredible. And if you like Star Trek, Amazon customer, <laughs> what are you doing not liking the Orville? Yeah, it's pretty funny. 
It, it's just Star Trek, but funnier. It's Star Trek on a crappy ship. Yeah. Okay, With where the, can I watch this? I love the I Orville. Need, I need to get on board. Just get it at the library, man. That's what we did. Yeah, we, we got it at the <gasps> library. I really like the Orville. Um, it is. It, it may look like a parody, but it isn't. It is. It is totally in earnest. It just happens to have some contemporary jokes, uh, and the people are filthier. Because they're they're crappy <laughs> they're crew like on a crappy class ship. crew. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're on the little explorer ship. Yeah, they're not on the, of the big Enterprise. Um, <laughs> so first of all, if you're going to make a simile in your criticism, get it right, Amazon customer. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I. So we maybe this opens the door to a an interesting conversation though, is so let's say that Rebecca Roanhorse had played some Shadowrun. Uh, it's a pretty well-known um, setting. There's a ton of games. It's an RPG setting. There are video games. Um, it's a you know pen and paper RPG. At what point is it? Does it stop being inspiration and does it start being a little? I'm not going to say plagiarism. So um, I think. So RP, RPG means that like people are making up their own stories about it, right? In the well, in their world, but if you buy like a book that comes with a story, uh-huh. sometimes pre-made characters, you can be running a story that the game provides to you. Uh-huh. And and I should say, I'm, I am going to say, I don't think that this draws that much from Shadowrun. Yeah, um, right. So so this is kind of a moot point, but I think it's an interesting discussion. What were you going to say, Brock? Sorry, well, I, I was... totally interrupted. <laughs> no, you're fine, and I I want to hear. Um, what you want to say. I just want to make a dumb joke about, I was going to say, I think it's never okay because no fantasy writer has ever played Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and then written a story inspired by their adventures. Right, yeah. Um, no, I, I think, I think wherever you draw your, your inspiration, um, like, I, I think that, I think that this is just, I think it it is a someone who saw the words the sixth world and then just were like, this is unacceptable. Yeah, I kind of wonder if this person like even read it. I mean, really, you could have read this all of this on the back of the book. Sixth world, Native Americans, post apocalyptic, natural disasters. That's pretty much how it starts. (laughs) The next mega corpse. Like, there's no mega corpse. Mr. There's Johnson. There's no cybernetics on here. Yeah, it's... um. So one of the conversations around this game um, is cultural appropriation. The um, book, you mean? Around the yeah, book. around this book. And, um, you know, so some, some Navajo writers have been upset because she's not Navajo. She's Pueblo. And... Um, which I think is an interesting discussion. But when it comes to... But, but, but this comment to me highlights one of the difficulties with even discussing that is that everyone has such divergent criteria that we can't even begin to have a real conversation about what's okay and what's not because this guy's getting mad about an RPG getting ripped off when it (laughs) plainly was not. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that is what the um, the next one out of five stars is. It says, what a fake. Most of the events and myths are fake. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so most yes, myths the event, are, 
most the event myths of are the fake. the event of the world um well, hold on being we have a, drowned we have a copy of the book right here <laughs> i want to open up to the front and yeah, that see didn't if happen. in the in the uh, license if it this book is a work of fiction <laughs> oh, any okay. references to historical events real people or real places are used fictitiously other names characters places and events are products of the author's imagination and any resemblance to actual events or places or persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Interesting. Huh. Huh. Pretty sure that's at the front of all books like this. <laughs> I'm a weird. Well, it depends which book. Some some comedy books are always like, I ripped this off of my friend Jimmy's life. And, <laughs> and I hope he doesn't see this because he'll get royalties. And... That sounds like your, your one comedian's voice. No, so it's a, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius has a hilarious license agreement in the front. Oh, does it? Yeah, the disclaimers. I remember reading <laughs> it, but it's been a while. Yeah. Dave Eggers, uh, a heartbreaking work of astounding genius. Yeah, Excellent. so anyway, I mean, so this guy named Alvin Whitehair um, is, you know, referencing cultural appropriation here, and I, and I, you know, I can kind of see it but at the same time it's like well yeah but this is just this is a work of fiction and she she Mm -hmm. married a navajo isn't that right she married a navajo man i don't know i thought that i'd read that i don't maybe that's i tend to discover so little about the authors i read (laughs) yeah anyway i i read some interviews by her and she said that she had lived with the navajo people and she'd learned some cool things and she got this idea for a story and she wrote it so anyway, I don't, you know, I, her intent was obviously not to be disparaging or to not bring any attention to Navajo people, you know, in a negative way. Yeah. I, you know, she was an author. She's a creative author and she wrote a piece of fiction. It does seem. With some mild uh, basis in true things. Yeah, it does. You know, it does seem to be a, um. I mean, maybe celebration isn't quite the right word, but, uh, you know, of, of the DNA people and like, and it sounds like not a world that she's unconnected to. Um, and that, you know, I, I think the, the lines get a little blurry probably. Um, you know, she's a member of, of one tribe, um, writing about a different tribe and, to to an outside observer, that seems like oh well, you know she's Native American and she's writing about Native Americans, but I can see someone within that uh, maybe bristling at the idea of you know she's she's writing about my heritage from a different standpoint, you know from from outside of that world. I mean, it's interesting because Tony Hillerman, when he was alive, was awarded the Friend of the Diné. Um, by the Navajo Tribal Council um, <laughs> because they loved... He wrote, like, 17 books or 30... It's some, it's yeah, I've lot. never heard of this guy. You've so, never heard of Tony Hillerman? So he write, yeah. Oh, he's my word, my parents loved him. So he's a, he's a murder right. mystery write it down. author, um, and he's probably best known for writing his series that was the Tribal Police Murder Mysteries um, okay. about Sergeant Jim Chi and Detective Joe Leaphorn. Leaphorn, yeah. And... Um, and uh, they're they're not books I have read, but I have listened to like half of them because my my father loved them and he got all the books on tape. So any any you know drive 
that long yeah. drive uh, <laughs> road trip, we would listen to Tony Hillerman. And um, he was cons- he was quite well thought of by a number of Diné. I'm not going to say all, obviously. Um, but even in kind of this official uh, recognition uh, capacity mm-hmm. um, for the attention that he, he brought and the care that he exhibited. Um, you know, he, he, and, and his books were often full of anthropology and religion, and he liked to draw attention to the cultures where the things were happening. Um, what was his cultural background? Well, so he lived, um, I think, in Arizona, um, but kind of, I, I, but he wrote quite a bit about it. So he was just a white dude. Okay. Um, he had no, <laughs> he had no, uh, ethnic no connection. connection to it. Uh, he uh-huh. just, he just happened to study it and treat it sensitively. Um, right. which, you know, if, if you want to get into this debate, that's 100% where I fall is that you can write anything you want, but it doesn't matter what your topic, you just need to research it and try to treat it sensitively. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm. You know. Well, so I want. So I think some of the criticisms about this book, particularly, particularly, is that maybe she wasn't as sensitive to the Navajo culture That's and to like their beliefs. In in the note, she talks about like basically having a sensitivity reader. Mm. Like uh-huh. it sounds like she has has had Navajo people look at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I feel like it's just an impossible game to win because I mean, there are no standards for this. And right. so some people will be upset, some won't. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Except try to be as sensitive. And yeah. Except, you know, it sounds like what she did, sensitivity readers are definitely important in something like this, where, you know, you want to represent a people, you should, ha- you should have those people, you know, reviewing your representation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those were the uh, bad takes. So let's move on to discussion. I thought I feel like we already had a pretty yeah, good discussion, let's but in. let's jump into some more. Um, okay, so uh, I want to I want to play this game. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and now we briefly talked about the fire drill, <laughs> uh, which is a stick that raises zombie monsters. Nice. Uh, so. I, I'm going to list some other magical artifacts. Uh, you'll see. You'll see why this is. Uh, this was from wrong spoiler territory. Uh, and you're going to guess what uh, what the object is and what magical power it has. Oh boy! Yeah. Uh, so the first magical artifact is a smoke screen. Okay. So what is the object and what does it do? Creates a screen of smoke, <laughs> so that a spy in the game Specter Ops can go across the hallway without being seen. Oh, interesting! Magic. Interesting. Okay, here's my Dan, guess. What do you think? Okay. Uh, a smoke screen looks like a winnowing fan. Okay. Okay. To to blow away smoke during the process of winnowing, like a, like a little bellows, for instance. Oh, okay. And its power is that when you blow it on someone, you automatically gaslight them. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it's a smoke screen. That's so you get caught cheating. Uh, someone comes home, their partner's in bed in the ha- playing hacky sack. Oh, here comes the smoke screen. You saw nothing. <laughs> it's actually... No, you're both wrong. Oh, okay. The smoke screen is a shoe, and it causes earthquakes. 
Wait, did you just make these up, or are they real things? <laughs> yes, I made I made these up. Okay, the f- the fire drill has nothing to do with drilling or fire, and fire drill is already a phrase that means something else. Well, isn't, so that's what, isn't a, that's what all of these are based isn't on. Isn't a fire drill, though, isn't that that thing that you push down and it has two sinews going up, um, and it yes, spins the yes, stick I to make so. fire, right? Like it makes yes. friction. Oh, okay. So it is a thing. Yeah. Right. So, or, or you can, you know, you can do the thing where you rub your hands together on it to spin the stick. Or, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that is a fire drill. <laughs> but this particular fire drill raises zombie monsters. Okay. <laughs> so the smoke screen, of course, is a shoe that causes earthquakes. Oh. Uh, the, the, the next magical artifact is the banana split. <laughs> what is it and what does it do? Okay, you, go, you can go first. Um, a banana split is something I've been enjoying recently. It's vanilla ice cream and banana and Nutella. Delicious. Oh, it's quite magical. That, that and what is the magic power wrong. that it calms? So I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword power. Yeah. In that it calms your pregnancy cravings and makes you bloaty. Yes. It's a double-edged sword for <laughs> show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's what I think it is, Brock. Okay, I, I think that it is George Michael Bluth <laughs> in a banana mascot <laughs> during the Arrested Development on Ice Capades. Oh, fantastic. And he slips and does splits. <laughs> and the power of this is that it reminds somebody that there's always money in the banana stand <laughs> at the same moment that the banana stand is dumped into the harbor. Excellent. Uh, of course, you're both wrong. It is a jacket, and it turns you invisible. Uh, the next magical artifact is the pancake breakfast. How many breakfast. of these are there? <laughs> <laughs> we got two more. Wait, what's this one? The pancake breakfast. What my daughter loves most to enjoy with her grandparents and parents at the OTC. It's delicious. Okay. It makes got, every day you better. Gotta, you gotta think way more outside the box. Okay. Here's what it <laughs> I'm is. I'm just being the realistic guest. <laughs> this is what you get when two sumo wrestlers accidentally. Cr- <laughs> collide at speed with the referee in between them <laughs> in such a way that it turns them all into a compromising angle. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What is it, Brock? Uh, I mean, it's a book and it makes you fly. Of course. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> you really didn't like this fire drill. I, it just... It, it just... and It wasn't until a ways in that I was like, oh yeah, there is that thing. <laughs> there is that stick that, you know, you can use to start fires. But again, <laughs> that's not what this fire drill does. It doesn't doesn't start fires. Yeah, it raises well, fires. in a way, what, it depends how you use it, right? Like, you take a corpse and you put the fire drill on their forehead <laughs> and you put the spark of life into them by drilling into their face. Huh. Interesting. I mean, yeah. maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, possibly. I, I can't prove you wrong. Uh, and finally, of course, the turkey bowl, which I'll just let you know, it's a knife, and it makes plants grow. Yeah, that was that was the game. 
How interesting. Um, we scored zero, except somehow Brock scored four out of four. Uh, weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at that game. <laughs> I had far too much fun writing those <laughs> dumb little things. Uh, so the, this, this was something um, that I, I sort of was thinking about in contrast to um, Liu Cixin's, uh The Three-Body Problem, right? Where in, in that book, there are a good number of Chinese uh, words and place names and things. Um, and I felt like reading this and reading the, the Dine words, it felt way more foreign and alien to me than, like, you know, as a comparison, this book that was translated from Chinese. Hmm. Um, what, what was your experience with, with the language? I think it was harder than Three Body Problem, but not as hard as Goblin Emperor. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about that a little bit too. Like, it was interesting that she made no efforts to like when you read Tony Healerman, and he refers refers to like the the Shindi, the the ghosts. He just mm-hmm. spells it C H I N D I, like oh. like Chindi. Like you, you get mm-hmm. close, right? Instead yeah. of like, um, like how did she spell it? Where it was like C I I with both of them accents, um, an elision mm-hmm. <laughs> apost- uh-huh. apostrophe, uh-huh. Um, no N, then like D, I, then another couple I's. So it was like, so I was going there like, is it like I I already knew what a Shin D was actually. And so I'm looking at it like, is this the thing that I know what it is? Or right. is this a sheet? D and is that an elision? Like, is it alighting the N, or is it actually like a pronunciation accent? Like, so is it like she D? Like, is it a glottal stop? Uh-huh. Like, I, I, it was every time there was something like that. Um, it really, I, I had to stop and kind of like stare at it to try to parse it uh, in terms of pronunciation. So is that just because of your experience with? With the crow, I mean, did you see? Did they don't? Do they have a written language? Uh, they do, but I mean, so they didn't before. Uh-huh. Um, so, so for those listeners who don't know, I I, I lived on the crow reservation for a while. Um, I know a lot of the crow people, also the Northern Cheyenne. I know. Um, I speak a little bit of crow, um, and so, but the crow, but their language was just um, something that like white schools taught them. Sometimes forced, sometimes voluntarily, uh, and um, and so everything is just phonetically expressed in English in a Roman alphabet. Um, so, uh, so with with this, I was really intrigued by that decision because all of these are things that have been expressed in much simpler phonetic terms mm-hmm. in other books, even some really popular books mm-hmm. uh, like those Tony Hillerman novels. Which were well enough known that he was like considered like the twenty eighth wealthiest person in Oklahoma for a while or something like that. So, <laughs> so you know, big time. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you think? So, so in terms of alienness, I have other thoughts. But what do you, what what do you guys think about that? Uh, did you feel more alien among the Diné than you did with like the Chinese and? Not really. I felt it. You? 
for me it was pretty equal. I mean, I came across a word that I didn't understand and I figured either she would tell me at some point in the text or I would just have to guess from the text and it didn't really it didn't really bother me. So in terms of the words, I think it was more alien. Um, but in terms of the culture, uh-huh. I think it was closer than three-body problem. Because three-body problem, like, sometimes the characters would do things that, to me, I was like, wow, that was really... Um, that was strange behavior. Right. Like, right. The, like, the culture they're coming from is a lot more different hmm. than, like, the Navajo culture. Right, um, yeah. So what did you think, Brock? Um, so I, it kind of made me think just about the way that uh, American history has kind of erased Native American culture, Um, you know, erased and isolated it to where, like, I, you know, I live probably within a few hours of, uh, you know, of Native American reservations. Um, You know, I'm sure there are Native American people who live here in Boise and, like, um, just the, you know, the way that that culture has been among and around us, but has not, uh, not spread, you know, not become widely known. Um, I just, I thought it was kind of a, um, an interesting, uh, thing to see. Yeah. And it's, so that's something that I kind of overtly notice. Um, not super often cause it's not something that comes up often. Um, but when people like express an opinion about Native Americans or like the the reservations or drug problems or stuff like mm-hmm. that, even if the opinion they're expressing is largely uh, like factually true, there's enough like there's enough misconception that it's something that I very overtly notice. Where I'm kind of yeah. going like, wow, you have no idea what you're talking about, really. You know, like some statistics. Right. Uh, you don't know about the realities of the reservation or education on the reservation or like what drug problems are and why they are. And, you know, those are things that I've, um, and I, and I don't want to oversell this. I don't want to say I'm like some (laughs) pro on this and certainly not the Navajo. Um, but it is something I've experienced firsthand in a very hands-on way, um, enough to notice its omission. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there, is there more you, you want to, um, to go, uh, you know, to go over as far as the depiction, um, uh, you know, of Native Americans in this book? So one thing that was interesting to me is, so there, there, there is just so much from the Native Americans I knew, which was the, again, the Crow Reservation and, and a portion of the North, uh, Northern Cheyenne Reservation, um, like there were there were problems with with drugs and kind of a cultural gap in education. A lot of that was stuff that I would say is like externally imposed. Like there was a distinct desire to get them to not do school on the reservation um, to kind of incorporate um, mm-hmm. to to basically like like there's this trade off, right? Like you can either have your identity or you can have opportunities. Yeah. And that's sometimes it's not, it's never vocalized that way, but that's often how it appears. Um, at least to many of the crow that I knew. Um, and, and, and the people I knew there was kind of a, 
it, it just depended on the person, right? It's as, it's as diverse as there are people, but there were people with persecution complexes, and there were people with really good outlet, uh, outlooks, and there were people who wanted to get an education specifically so they could return to the reservation and try to provide those opportunities for other people. Um, one of the things that I liked in this book um, is that I never got a sense that I was just reading a bunch of Navajo caricatures, um, there were people who believed stuff and there were people who kind of didn't buy into everything. And yeah. there were people who were smart asses and there were people yeah, who were, were really holy type people. Like they were really invested in, in like good medicine and the healing way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I appreciated that as well. I mean, you've got, you've got crooked cops, you've got, you know, people who are really family focused, you've got drug runners and you know militants and like you've you've just got people right and uh, right you've got like the redneck militants are a good example um because they're not behave they're kind of behaving the way we like think of like backwater white dudes right like, the government can't handle this so we're gonna do it right yeah and, and it still gives them that context that like well it kind of makes sense since there's monsters like eating girls mm-hmm. in the woods <laughs> right? like you know, go Second Amendment when that's going on. Um, <laughs> like, no contest. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, I liked the diversity of it. I never felt like I was talking to a caricature. I almost felt more that way reading the three-potty problem, even though it was written by a Chinese guy. Uh, <laughs> and some of that is just the nature of hard sci-fi, that almost every character is a caricature, because they exist in service of this of ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, just eco- economy of characters. Right. Um, so I really appreciated this book in terms of that. I felt like it was. I, I felt like it was respectful. Um, I don't know if I'll read the second one because I really liked how it ended, and in my mind, I almost want to preserve that. Like, <laughs> right. like ah, screw you! Killed a god, shot my boyfriend. I got a thunder sword. <laughs> like that's a good ending to me. Yeah, that's a happy ending. I don't need to know what she's going to do with it. Like at this point, yeah. I feel like. No one can stop her. She'll just thundersword them. Yeah. Um, but no, I, given my own experiences, it was it was kind of a treat to be back there. So, uh, Roanhorse has talked about this that instead of trying to criticize the Dene, that she's trying to portray it as a renaissance. Um, and I like that it's very much this renaissance that's beginning internally. Um, where like this, the, their idea of their identity is transitioning. Um, that they have these powers, they have this heritage. That it very directly connects this idea that your heritage is a great strength, as opposed to a source of shame. Um, where, which is something that I know uh, some of the crow I've worked with that it was a source of shame. Um, this idea that you live in a double wide trailer as a nom- in a nomadic culture on a piece of crap land that the instant you leave um, you're going to be judged by new standards and staying here you'll be judged by different standards huh. yeah. so instead of your heritage being an object of potential shame here it's this object of potential uh, virtue and power and power yeah and I really liked that inversion of the things that I've seen with the way mm. that reservations are run um, like for instance those Tony Hillerman novels he always had to kind of get around the fact that tribal police can't actually solve murders they have to call in federal agents to do that they have to call in the white man basically uh-huh. um, like they can huh. they, they can only really handle misdemeanors they're there to handle the little stuff until the white guys show up 
And so Tony Hillerman was always riding around that, like, ah, there's not enough time for the feds to show up, or this, the, you know, like, the feds showed up and got it wrong. Like, he always kind of had to yeah. kind of jigger around it. Um, in this one, I love that it. there's no one who's going to come save them. It seems like their city still kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> right. They haven't had, like, an architectural revolution. Instead, it's this revolution of heritage. And I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I wish that some of my uh, Crow acquaintances could have, where instead of feeling so downtrodden, which is justified, that they could harness that better. So I found it very empowering in that regard, uh, yeah, which is one reason cool. why I kind of chafe at some of the... Uh, accusations of cultural appropriation because I'm going, don't you see what this story is doing? Um, It's talking about this hidden internal power. Um, And maybe it's something we miss a little bit as Americans because we have so little actual inherited culture. Um, But yeah, that's one of the things I liked most about the book. Mm. And it kind of connects to some of the points we've been talking about. So sorry if I went on too long. No, I, I think that's awesome. Um, so I, uh, I think I, I have two kind of two more points. Um, there's a there's a part where Maggie says something about taking the hard jobs no one else wants, like monster killing. Um, and I and I looked at that and I thought, um, I live in Idaho, and if there were monsters, uh, I feel like there are some industries that would crumble because all of their employees left to go hunt monsters. (laughs) So, like, in certain areas, whenever they open the bounty on wolves, Uh and it's, like, a week, and they've slaughtered, like, 2,000 wolves. (laughs) Right, exactly. Now, now imagine if... Yeah, imagine if they were, like, there were no regulations. They were just these unfeeling... (laughs) Monsters that were threatening life as we know it. Yeah, there would there would be some. These aren't these are not the hard jobs no one wants. I just thought that was funny. Um, Do you think? I mean, you, you could have like a bounty because it sounds like the monster heads are super obviously monster heads, right? It's, they don't. It's not like you bring in a bunch of heads and they're like, ah, oh, that's Steve. <laughs> No, they look at this wheelbarrow of monster heads, and they're like, yeah, those are a bunch of damn monsters. It's a bunch of monsters. You get $5 a monster (laughs) that you've beheaded. Right. Because otherwise they're like starfish, and they just duplicate. (laughs) Right. No, I agree with you. I think if if there were, like, monsters, and I, I thought they would actually be more threatening, to be honest. Um a few like the scene that first one was pretty freaky yeah but then after that they just like mowed them down sometimes yeah like she's like three monsters yeah all my swiss army knife chop 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 <laughs> guess right. what i beheaded three monsters and i'm going wow these monsters blow <laughs> like i thought they were super scary like mummy 2 scary instead of mummy 1 scary <laughs> <laughs> like crawl on the walls and stuff just cannon fodder. <laughs> Brock, here's um, the good, here's the big question. All right, would you be a monster hunter with me? Uh, yeah, given the right equipment, I'd, I'd join you. 
we could we so could wait, go hunt some monsters. So you'd be part of this monster hunting band. Well, it feels like I the monster. A, I had like, a particular white person in. <laughs> oh, did you? Image in my head, and it wasn't you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I'm tired of these monsters. <laughs> you can go look over that ridge. I'm going to read a book. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm ready sure to that's be what done. it would be like. <laughs> it's cold and dirty out here. <laughs> All our clothes yeah, smell I, like monsters. I think, Brock, you you have a good point, but I think maybe half the people that are like, yeah, I'm a monster hunter, would get out there and then be like just what we talked about. Like, ah, I don't really like sleeping in tents. I just remembered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This oh, is yeah, hard, I and really, I don't like hiking. I can't really lug all this uh, ammo around. <laughs> it's hurting my back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though this happens in every book, uh, like anytime there's a siege, right? Like the siege of Helm's Deep, and I'm sitting there like, What are you doing? I could defend this castle. <laughs> These odds are in your favor. <laughs> Where are your ladder pusher poles and your boiling oil and a moat? Do anything. Seriously. Come on. So so sometimes when they were fighting monsters, I was going like, okay, you guys who have machine guns, why aren't you staying in the bed of your truck and right? driving away from them yeah. and riddling them with bullets while they shamble at you? <laughs> Just drive... About their speed. Like, okay, that's how rednecks get rid of prairie dogs. <laughs> is they have their local church group, they get all of the boys who are 12 to 18, and put them in trucks and give them shotguns, and then go shine spotlights over their fields and blast the crap out of a billion prairie dogs, and then drive around and do it for hours. If, if 12 year old boys can yeah, handle they can a figure prairie it out. dog infestation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good times. I guess you don't um, need to do that when you have fire magic. Yeah, and fire yeah. drills. That does help. The lightning swords. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last, uh, the last thing. Uh, it's a little bit of a bummer, but there's there's this symmetry in the book where, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know that that first scene. Uh, where she rescues the girl, but then, uh, you know, she she kills her because she believes that being touched by evil is going to turn that girl evil, right? Because that's something she'd always been told. Um, that's kind of what happened to her. She feels. Yeah, but but then at the end, you know, at, at the end of the book, it's really like laid out for her. No, that was that's a lie. Being touched by evil doesn't turn you evil, um, and. As a reader, that was sort of a devastating thing to look back and say, oh, Maggie did this awful thing at the beginning of the book, where presumably this little, you know, this young girl could have just gone back to her family and, you know, been healed and had a life, and instead she she killed her. Um, and so as a reader... Well, I felt it was I, horrible in the beginning, too, you know, just so you oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, I was like, yeah. <laughs> Let's get this thing started. Uh, but but Maggie didn't ever seem to have that realization. And I wanted I wanted that to be acknowledged by Maggie. But it, I don't know. How, how did you all... Did you notice that? Did well, you... I feel her nescience was exculpatory. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. 
finally we get she was, get around to discussing she this. Was, she was ignorant of the full set of facts, and she acted in the best way that she could, given the current set of facts. I, I can totally see what you're saying. Like, would she feel bad, maybe? I don't know if I really think of Maggie as necessarily that introspective. Like, would she sit there and be like, oh, that thing I did was wrong. Yeah. Like, it, when she thinks she's right, I think she keeps thinking she's right. And when she's wrong, she keeps thinking she's wrong, even when either one might be the inverse. Sure. Like... She does She does dwell on the past, though. You know, she does tend to fixate. Yeah, but not with things that she thought she did well. It's like places she was victimized, like, going over okay. and over in it and... and you know, feeling that shame for things. I, I, I don't know. I feel like when she's right, she's right. And when it comes to monsters, man, she's good at killing monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Summer, what did you think? I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. See, I loved I it when she, she chopped off that head. I, <laughs> and not because I Why? wanted a girl. Not because I wanted a young girl to have her head chopped off. But because it established the it established two things for me. One, it established Maggie as someone that I might actually root for as a monster killer. Someone who, when it cuts, she might have feelings, but when it comes down to it, she's like, yeah, this thing's you're going to be a new monster, and it's going to eat away at you, and your life is going to be miserable, and then I'm going to have to come kill you anyway, so I'm going to kill you. Oh, yeah, the, the logic of it is there, and, um, and sort of the... <clears throat> uh, you know, Maggie's realization of like this this is what has to happen and sort of the pained realization that you know this is what i do and i know i know how these things work and this this has to be done the second thing i liked about it is that i felt like it created a very different uh sort of like theo- theological background to the world and it inhabited i actually didn't like the it being a lie i like i like the idea that like this evil is not necessarily good. Like we, we think of it in kind of a Judeo Christian way, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. good acts versus sin. But I like to think of it as like a corruption. And I kind of liked thinking about it this way, that some of the acts of these deities and witches is they are inherently corrupting. And the role of a monster hunter isn't just to chase around their creations. It's to excise them. You you as a monster hunter are it isn't this fun riding around in your truck bahaing and shooting prairie dogs <laughs> you are a surgeon you're a lymphocyte your job is to strangle an infection and sometimes you have to cut off a limb to save the body or sometimes you have to exterminate a life to save the community and i really liked that formulation uh, for their yeah. world because it was it was grim and and hard and i could see why maggie would feel like this is my destiny. This is what I do well. And I kind of don't want to do it because it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I yeah. liked that. Not that I wanted a girl to get her head chopped off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess it comes full circle because in the end, she basically did the same thing. She killed the gods that were, or at least tempered them for a little while. You know, the ones that were causing the problem. She, she shot Coyote in the face and she bound Naj, Najgani. Yeah. For a time. I mean, both of them seemed pretty temporary because 
they're gods? Well, I think or are Nezhgani they demigods? I think something will have to release Nezhgani. Uh-huh. Because, like, he was talking about, like, times... I think some god was talking about times that had been bound for hundreds of years before. Like, yeah. kind of these divine squabbles. Like, I, I got the sense that Coyote was just her being like, ah, screw you. <laughs> like, he's gonna... Like, if they went to the bottom of the ledge, he'd be gone. Yeah. Right, yes. Um... <clears throat> But no, I think it, it goes into that same thing where she's going, they are, these two at least are inherently corrupt. They are blights upon our land and I will slice them out of the body. Mm-hmm. And, and they are corrupting. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's, they, they are spreading. Yeah. Right. So, so what were the gods <laughs> called? But like the, the Dene gods are not necessarily good for Dene Ta. Like I, I liked that. Yeah. Undercurrent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's all I had. Don't you ever want to like shoot God <laughs> and have it take take effect? What? <laughs> well, we can discuss that later. <laughs> Goodness. I don't. Huh. <laughs> I think I hear more thunder on your end. I think Yikes. something's brewing. <gasps> Oh, well, I think I should end this because I'm the host. Yeah, we're all waiting. Yeah, you might as well. Uh, thank you for joining us on the uh, Space Biff Book Space. So next month, we, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the month, look, we just barely made it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> May, right under May the wire. 30th. This, this, <laughs> one, this may be published in April. <laughs> yeah, this this one, um, <clears throat> you mean June? We're, June. Right, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's baby I'm off great. by a month. <laughs> Summer is pregnant. Nothing she says can be used against her in a court of law. Yeah. That's the law. That's the law. That's the law. Yeah. That's the law, says Maggie. Um, uh, anywho, what are we going to read next, Dan? Your baby's evil. It's Nothing your... for it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, Dan, your choice. What okay, are you Okay, so reading? this one might take a little longer uh, because we're getting a late start. It was kind of a hectic month for some of us. Um, but we are going to be reading a book that was written by a friend of ours, um, not a dear friend, more of a new friend, but we have a friend whose name is Justin Travis Call, and he has published his first novel. It is called Master of Sorrows. And we are just going to eviscerate this thing. Yes. <laughs> we are going to tear it up. Part. If oh, you're listening, ooh. Justin, tremble. We're coming for you. <laughs> so that's what we're going to read. It's an epic fantasy thing, I think. And uh, maybe it'll take we'll forever. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find, we'll out. find out. Yeah, all right. Okay, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Lovely. All right, Brock, Hi, everyone. Brock does the theme music. Never mind. <laughs> 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 That's what I was just, I thought you were doing that. <laughs>